Turn to Acts chapter 20. In the end of Acts chapter 20, we read Paul saying goodbye to the Ephesian church and specifically the Ephesian elders. We're going to look at the end of that passage, starting in verse 32. Remember, this is the last time that Paul is going to see these men. And so, he's giving them the the most important things to remember. We're not going to read the whole thing. He says some some very uh, unexpected things, though. One of which is that he warns that even those who are elders in the church, from their own midst, certain men would arise who were false shepherds, who would attack the church, who would attack the sheep, rather than feeding and providing and caring for the people of the church. That seems like a pretty important thing to let them know about, right? To warn them about. Well, then you continue on, and we'll read the close of his little speech, little farewell message to them. And you'd think it's going to be something pretty important, right? I think it is, but you may be surprised at what he addresses. How should we think about and handle money. Money is what he closes with in this farewell to the Ephesians. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 20, verses 32 through 38. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Paul closes by saying, It is more blessed to give 
than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's when it then switches and says, having said this, he then prays. So he, he switches at the beginning of our passage to his conclusion. He says, and now I commend you to God. So he's, he's giving his conclusion to this incredibly important, brief, emotional meeting giving them the last words that they'll receive in person from him. And he comes to that conclusion and he says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver. What? Where does that come from? I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes. How easy is it for us to covet clothes? Never mind silver and gold, just clothes. It's very easy, isn't it? Of course, clothes at that time were far more valuable than our clothes are today. And yet, even today, when you can go down to the thrift store and buy clothes for way less than one day's wages, right? And be clothed. Or you can walk into, in our country any number of places around this city and just get free clothes, right? At that time, clothes were not so cheap. And I don't mean flimsy or pathetic or poorly made. I mean they were valuable. They were costly. They were not easy to get, not easy to make. And so if you had an extra change of clothes compared to another person, that represented substantial wealth compared to that person. Coveting. This is how Paul ends his time with the Ephesian elders. He says, I have coveted no man's silver, or gold, or clothes. And then he goes on and he keeps talking about himself. Now, this is exactly what safe preaching doesn't look like. Safe preaching keeps everything impersonal. Safe preaching keeps everything uh, separate from the relationship of the preacher to those who are hearing the message. But Paul is always 
diving straight into the relationship that exists and relying on that relationship, relying on the context of the time that they have spent together to drive home his point. Why does Paul speak about himself at this point? Well, what he is heading towards is that closing statement. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? That's what he's, that's what he's wanting them to remember, to understand, to apply in their own lives. And so what he does is, Remember, he spent time there with them. They had a very close relationship. This is demonstrated by the fact that immediately as he prays, they weep. They walk with him all the way to the ship, right? They love Paul. Paul loves them. And so he says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes so that they will then be driven to remember it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because he knows they're remembering Paul right now. They're remembering the times that they spent together, that he was living among them. They remember how he served them. They remember how he lived among them. They remember how he taught And they're never going to see him again. And so this is a time for remembering and thinking back on the times that they had had together. And what he does is he uses that to drive home his point. His point is it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now it's very easy to spiritualize that, but with Paul applying it through his own life and making it very concrete, it's impossible for us to, without, apart from if we just took it out of context, right? It's impossible for us to turn it into some sort of uh, spiritual saying that doesn't have any teeth to it. If you just... If you just heard it's more blessed to give than to receive, that, that can be taken to mean any number of things. And, and it, does, it does have broad application to all kinds of areas of life, right? For instance, it is more blessed to give love than to receive love. Well, this is true, right? And yet, love is already such a nebulous concept in our minds <laughs> that if I were to say it's more blessed to give love than to receive love, what would we walk away with? Well, I don't think much of anything without trying to give it some teeth. Something that, that will actually attach into your life that you can see the specifics. So what is it, what is, what is the, 
What is the love that is in your life? What sort of love are you receiving and want more of? And what sort of love are you not bothering to give and, and not thinking about? Right? That's, that's where we'd have to take it to really drive it home. We could do it with all sorts of things, like I said, but Paul, Paul's talking about money. Not some theoretical or spiritual concept, but cold, hard cash, gold, silver, clothes, physical items. He uses his own life. He uses his own time among them. He says in verse 34, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Coveting leads to death. Coveting is destructive. Coveting is disastrous in our lives. Verse 35, Paul continues, again, speaking of himself, he says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul writes about money on a semi-regular basis. It's not something that is an uncommon topic in the Bible, either Old or New Testament. As a matter of fact, we saw in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 through 12, Paul writing to the young pastor, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Again, we see... The love of money, the the covetousness, the desire for good things in this life, here and now, okay, set up, we see that desire set up against fighting the good fight. We see that set up in opposition to 
being a man of God, to pursuing righteousness. Why? Because you can only pursue one thing. You can only have one master, as Jesus puts it. God or mammon, take your pick, you can only have one master. And to have that as a master is to be pursuing that thing, that will, that desire. To have more of God or to have more of money. Paul holds himself up once again as a model. It's so amazing to me how often Paul does that. (laughs) I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes. And then he goes beyond that. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs. He's holding his hands up. He's looking at them. He's showing them his hands. He's talking to them about his hands. These hands. What about them? These hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. What is that in contrast to? In contrast to living off of the church there at Ephesus, right? The giving of the people there could support pastor or pastors. Paul was not alone. He had other men with him. And what he did was he worked hard with his hands to not be a burden on the church. What an honorable thing. What a wonderful gift he gave to the Ephesian church. Not in allowing them to save up their money to buy a building. That wasn't the gift that he gave them. The gift that he gave them was being a model to them of faithful, hard work to provide for yourself so that you needn't be a burden on other people, so that you can share with others who have needs, so that there isn't a spirit of laziness, of covetousness, of self-indulgence, so that there isn't a spirit of the love of money, so that there isn't an attitude of this is what I deserve. You understand? Here we are, we are in the wealthiest nation that the world has ever seen. And if you hear the generational, uh, the older generation's complaints 
about the younger generation, uh, which, of course, have always been around, right? One of the complaints is that the, the younger generations feel entitled, right? And, and what do they feel entitled to? There's, there's several things, and most of them revolve around money, right? Entitled to a job, right? But not just a job, but a good job. A good job with benefits, right? A good job with benefits that also does what? Not just money. Good money, right? And that isn't miserable. And that has flexible hours. And, 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 plenty of vacation time, of course, necessary. You also need to make sure that you get a fantastic six weeks of paternity leave or maybe even longer. <clears throat> Probably more would be better, right? And, and the, the, the benefits that can, that can be added on to these jobs can just grow and grow and grow. And, and that the young people are looking at their parents who are, who have these kinds of jobs, who have poured themselves for years into working to build up the necessary skills, the necessary experience, the necessary seniority to get to this point, and they expect to come out of college and have exactly the same job, be living in exactly the same kind of house, have the same standard of living, drive the same cars as their parents and grandparents, right? Have you guys heard this, read this, seen this? It, it's, not, it's not just a made-up complaint from those who are older. It is something that uh, I think does exist among those who are coming out of college. But I don't think that it's really anything that new. Because young people are always, let's call it untaught. I was going to say something ruder, but, you know, you got a lot to learn about the way life works still by the time you get your first job, your first real job. And you come to find out quickly that actually you do need to show up on time, right? And that you haven't earned the ability to call your boss and say, hey, you know what, uh, I need a couple of days, right? Okay, bye, permanently. What? So we, so we live in this culture that is awash with money, and we begin to live in such a way that this is, this is our expectation, but it's more than an expectation, it's what we deserve. After all, I just spent four hard years partying and eating free food, right? I meant studying, that's what I meant. Studying and working hard to get good grades.
Now, what's going on here? Is it coveting? I would say it's beyond coveting. It's beyond coveting. To to covet is to come out of college and to look at the other people who got better better jobs out of school than you and to and to look at them and to say how come they get a better job? How come they're making more money? How come they have a job that's more enjoyable? How come they get more time off? How come I want I want more. That's coveting. This is beyond coveting because it goes Further, beyond simply saying, I want that, it says, I deserve that. The fact that I don't have that is a problem with the world. There's something set up wrong here. Yes, it does start with a desire to get rich. Right? Or a desire to be rich already. But it is more blessed to give than to receive. It starts with the assumption that it is better to receive than to give. That's the assumption that underlies this whole way of experiencing the world in America today. Coveting leads to death. Now, where do we see this? We see it in many places in our life, but Death, of course, is something that we don't see much of, right? And so it's easy for us to deny the connection between any sin and death. Or to begin to have it be hazy and fuzzy in our minds, like, yeah, I know it's bad. I know theoretically sin and death go together, but mm, I'm not really seeing the connection. How is it that coveting leads to death? Well, in the Old Testament, we have an example in King Ahab. Now, as crazy as it is for Americans to covet, and that's crazy because we already have everything, okay? Imagine being a king and coveting. Not only do you already have everything if you're king, but you can get anything that you don't have pretty easily, right? What does Ahab Covet. Ahab covets, yes? A vineyard. Yeah. Not just any old vineyard, though. A particular vineyard that he thought would be very nice to have. Whose vineyard was it? Any of you kids remember? 
Yes, Ben. Naboth's vineyard. Right on. Naboth's vineyard. What was so special about Naboth's vineyard? Anybody? There was something about it. What was it? It was next to, I think it was next to his palace. It was, it was right, it was, it was perfectly located. You see, I mean, there's vast tracts of land that, that he can have vineyards in, and, and many of them already planted and so forth, but what use are they? They're all out there. Here's this one. It's, it's, it's in the perfect spot. It's, all, it's where I want to go walking. Now, it turns out that <clears throat> Ahab, as wicked as he was, uh, did not see himself as entirely above the law. And so it did not occur to him to do what it occurred to wicked, wicked Jezebel to do, which was to say, are you the king or aren't you? If you want a vineyard, take a vineyard. And anybody who stands in the way can conveniently disappear. Which is to say she has Naboth, what, kids? Killed. She has Naboth killed so that Ahab can have the vineyard that he coveted. Now you see how coveting leads to death in this story, right? Interestingly, it doesn't seem like such a bad deal to covet. Ahab ends up with the field, the vineyard, right? But Naboth ends up dead. And so what I want us to see first here is that When you think of this statement, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay? And you think of coveting as the opposite of that. I want you to see that coveting is destructive of other people. Coveting is destructive of other people. Naboth is just an example of something that you will see more clearly if you think of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus speaks of lust and anger and he demonstrates that the command against adultery drives deep into who we are and doesn't let off at the, at the point of have I actually, you know, struck somebody or have I actually killed somebody. It goes all the way into our heart and what the desires and feelings of our heart are, right? The same with lust. That committing adultery is not the the ultimate and only 
thing just off on its own, but that it flows up out of our heart and our heart's desires, that lust is the initial problem there. And so with coveting, coveting is by its very nature hating. Coveting is by its very nature hating your neighbor. Hating your neighbor for having what you want. Hating your neighbor for not giving it to you. Hating the way that God established the world, whether that is through how he distributes his gifts or whether it is through the fact that hard work is rewarded with money, with pay, right? That the laborer is worthy of his wages, which by implication means that the non-laborer is not worthy of his wages. And, And so coveting says, I don't want to work for it. I don't want you to have it. I hate you and I hate the world. I hate God for the way that everything works. I just want to have now that that you have. And you can die for all I care. That's coveting. If you could just die and and then leave that to me, I would be happy. Because I don't love you. I only love your things. And so coveting is at its core, remember, it's the opposite of believing that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Well, because it is more blessed to give than to receive relies on a fundamental love being in our hearts. Love for others. It's easy for us to fall into error here and say it's more blessed to give than to receive because it means that I have more and I I am therefore in a better position and I am able to give and how blessed I am to have that much money. But of course, you don't have to have more than somebody else to give to them, do you? That's, whoa, mind-blowing right there. You can actually give when you have less. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Coveting is the opposite of giving. It's the opposite of loving. It flows not out of a love for the other person. It flows not out of a generosity or a... uh, a heart attitude of um, service to others, but instead inverts all that goodness into badness. This is why they are put in opposition to each other. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes it is more blessed to give than to receive. What else is put in opposition 
or, or in support of it is more blessed to give than to receive. The opposite of coveting is working hard with your own hands to provide your own needs and then turning around and giving. So Paul works to meet his needs. Paul works to meet the needs of the other men who are with him. And Paul works in such a way that other people will have more so that they don't have to support him. Because it is actually, as we have seen elsewhere, particularly in Timothy, it is actually incumbent upon the church to provide for the needs of those who are worthy of double honor, right? Just like Paul says, comparing himself to Peter and the other apostles, do I not have the right to receive a living? Just as Peter and his family and the other apostles who have wives and children, do do I, as a single man, suddenly not have the right to receive? No, I do, right? And yet I haven't taken it. Why? That is him giving. That is him giving to the Ephesian church. Paul not only avoids coveting, but he gives himself to his work in order to support others financially, and he's cheerful in it. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do we really believe that? In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, what does it mean to help the weak? He's working hard with his hands in order to help the weak. Well, one of the most obvious things is those who are unable to provide for themselves. They're weak in some manner, right? Again, at that time, very few people made a living with their mouths talking, right? People worked with their hands. If you were weak, if you were too weak to work, You needed help. Now, of course, that still stands true today. It's just that you can be an awful lot weaker and still be able to provide for yourself today, right? It's a sweet thing. Part of, again, being in this wealthy country.
But what else is going on there? In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Well, the other thing that's going on there is he is holding, again, you know, you you keep just seeing, he's holding himself up as a model. So if he's holding himself up as a model, he showed them that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. There's two important things to note here. One is, we immediately think, oh, it would be shameful to be the weak person. Right? Indeed, it is more blessed to give than to receive can seem to add on to that. Right? But if this is a command, that those who are strong and able are to work hard so that they can help the weak, then what does that show us? It shows us the necessity of those who are weak receiving that help with humility and joy. Because to be unwilling to receive help is not just pride. It is to covet the good things that Others have been given the ability to work hard with your hands and to be angry at how God has determined to provide for you through the work of others. The second thing is, in this manner, you must help the weak. Shows that Paul is holding up as a model, again, himself, the hard-working servant of the church, rather than the man who is making a living off of the church. The contrast between himself and what he knows when he says that there will be men who will rise up in order to get things for themselves out of the church, to feed on the flock, right? Is to tear at the weak. It is to, it is, it is the weak who will be the first to suffer when you are seeking to suck resources out rather than to invest in as a shepherd, right? It's, of course, just like when the lion attacks the herd, it's the sick and the weak that are taken first, right? So it's the same that it's the weak and the sick who are hurt first in the church, What we're seeing here is that Paul is holding himself up as an example of supporting and strengthening the weak 
rather than taking advantage of them and them being harmed by him. So again, everything flipped entirely on its head. And when you, when you think of who is harmed by televangelists in this country today, it's not people who are able to work hard and have good jobs and, and are easily taking care of themselves financially, is it? It is the poor who far and away give the most money to support these wealthy men. It is the sick who they prey on. You see how opposite this is. And what is driving that is coveting. And so Paul is warning and saying, look, if you as church leaders are coveting silver and gold, if if your desire is to get rich, what will happen is that the weak are the ones who are going to be harmed instead of you being supporting them. So even though, you know, we don't know anything about these men who are with him, presumably they're perfectly able to work, they're able to travel with him after all, right? That's probably not who he's talking about when he says he provided for his own needs and the men that were with him with his own hands. He's saying, not only did he do that, but he was working hard to make sure that the weak were provided for in that very work that he was giving. Coveting is the opposite of giving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The moment that we think that what, that what we need in life is some physical thing, okay? And it could be related to your house. It could be related to your clothes. It could be related to your car. It could be related to uh, any, any physical thing, okay? What money can buy? Of course, the only thing that our culture knows money can't buy is love. But everything else, money can buy, right? So if, if you begin to live as your desires drive you to seeking those things, then immediately you've flipped, you've inverted that statement and you've said, what I really need is to receive. What I really need is to receive. If I can keep receiving without giving, eventually I'll be able to get that thing I want. And the moment that you're there, you're on the path to destruction. The moment that you're there, you're willing to harm other people in order to get what you want. I'll never forget when I was in college and I was hard up for money. As hard up as somebody who is living in the United States of America and going to Vanderbilt can be. Which is to say, not very hard up, right? Now let's just make sure we're all on the same page and understanding what's going on here. But I didn't have a lot of money that I wanted to spend on things like books. Ridiculously overpriced books. And so I had hit upon a scheme where I would buy the books 
at the beginning of the semester from the library, I mean from the, the school uh, bookstore. And then I would search and find online those books and I would order them the cheapest places I could and then I'd return those books to the bookstore that I didn't need if I could find them cheaper somewhere else. Worked great until I got this little hardback book. I mean, it was tiny. Yay thick, hardback. $70 at the bookstore. $10 on Amazon or eight books or something, right? Great. I could save $60 on this one. So I bought it. But you know how media mail says like seven to 19 years to get there or something like that? Well, normally it just comes with, you know, about as fast as first class mail. But every once in a while, media mail really means it's going to take a while. And my return window is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And finally the book came, right? Wonderful. Just in time for me to return. Oh, no. It's the wrong edition. The page numbers, the assignments, everything's going to be screwed up. I, there's... This is how they keep overpricing books, right? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a racket, but what am I going to do? Oh, I know. Peel the label off of this one. Put it on that one. And return the wrong book. $60 saved, just like that. I'm so sneaky, right? What did I do? What's that called, kids? Do you understand what I did? I returned the wrong book. I tricked the bookstore into taking back the wrong book and giving me $70 for it. What's that called? That's right, it's called stealing. But I'm not a thief. Why would I steal? We don't think of ourselves as thieves, do we? When you covet, you become a thief. That's just what happens. When you covet, you're willing to destroy what other people have built in order that you can have something you want. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Stealing is the natural fruit of coveting. Being angry at others is the natural fruit of coveting. Praying off of others, taking advantage of their lack of understanding is the natural fruit of coveting. Using others up so that you don't have to be used up, it's the natural fruit of coveting. 
But when, you've, when you begin to look at this statement from Jesus that Paul reminds us of here, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, all of a sudden, everything is totally different. All of a sudden, you're thinking about how you can help other people instead of how you can get what they have. And it is blessed. And yes, it it does use up you, your resources, your things. And what better can you do than that? What better can you do than take those clothes and remember how expensive they are and give them to somebody who is naked and needs clothes? This is what Jesus says his sheep do and the goats refuse to do. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What better could you do in a hot, dry day than take that ice-cold water that you put in your insulated thermos against just such a moment as this than hand it to the person who didn't think that far ahead? It's a wonderful thing to do. Not so that you can feel so good about yourself and pat yourself on the back, but because you love other people and you love to give them good things. You love to give them what they need. Coveting is hating and destroying other people. Loving other people leads to giving sacrificially for their sake like Paul did, using up his hands in hard service of building tents so that they could benefit. Let us have this attitude towards each other. Let's pray.